makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Betty Washtelo, Chante Washte, Napechu Zapiello, Le Unkipigi, He Washtelo, Le Ambetuki, Tranka Na Washtelo, Ola Kota Yellow, Oyate Hona Umpi, Ohol Oskati Wichoni. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good, good feelings in my heart, and the whole world is a beautiful day. Just look outside. And it's good for all of, us, of all of us to be here. This is a good and significant day, and there is peace. Let the people hear your voice respectfully. Celebrate life in addition to relativity. This is First Voices Radio. And as always, I'd like to thank you for your generosity. You know who you are. Without you, we cannot continue. And I'm your host, Teokasen Ghost Horse. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio now in its 28th year broadcasting. First Radio Radio. First Voices Radio producer is Liz Hill. And, and now, folks, you can hear... First Voices Radio on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And you can find it by entering First Voices Radio on that application search box, iTunes, Apple Podcast. And I want to thank Ryan Clover and his team for making this possible as we begin the process of archiving First Voices Radio in the coming months and possibly years. And you can also find us on Spotify and Buzzsprouts, Buzzsprouts and look forward to more sites to listen to First Voices Radio. 
Uh, yes, this is, again, First Voices Radio. And that was Ripples of Water from the release from the label Underwater Panther Coalition. They released a debut album, Music for the Mother, which is an ancestral Tayuna music from the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta in, Col- in Colombia. And it's a first ever recorded song, first ever produced uh, first record ever produced and first time a female from the Tayuna has ever been recorded and uh, in celebration of Indigenous Peoples Day a few year, few days ago Underwater Panther Coalition is a record label seeking to improve people's connection to Mother Earth through curated musical projects released releases music for the mother this, this is the name of the album uh, have ancestral Tayuna songs from again the Sierra de Santa Marta in Col- Colombia recorded by the Mamos and Azagas, which are the, the spiritual leaders of the indigenous peoples of the mountain region in that area. The album, which promotes healing and cultural integrity through song and ceremonies available for download on iTunes. And you can also go to underwaterpanthercoalition.bandcamp.com to find out more. And within the CD is a booklet that provides a primary inspiration, explanations, inspirations, behind the album and each song. And, uh, you know, I'd like to bring up this album, this album's uh, producer in, 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 a, in a form that he is a musical artist living in upstate New York. And he's originally from Canada, grew up in this area, the Northeast, uh, in Philadelphia. And he began his journey in a Cherokee National Forest and when he was young, traveled throughout the United States through native country, which the whole land is native country, uh, here and uh, so I'd like to bring Matthew O'Neill and his latest project, Music for the Mother, which is a debut today, featuring the ancestral Tayuna music from, again, the Sierra, Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta in Colombia, and uh, we'd like to celebrate this debut by bringing the voice of a woman, which was ripples of water, because water is at the heart of a lot of. Um, ideas, ceremonies, uh, even rituals, but a way of life for Native people all over the world. And again, it's very special to hear this first recording. I did listen to it, and it's mesmerizing. And we're going to go through a few songs later on uh, after we interview Michael o- Matthew O'Neill. Excuse me, 
Matthew. Um, welcome to First Voices Radio, Matthew. Thank you, Tilkison. Thank you for having me here. You know, when I listened to this, um, you gave this to me a few days ago, I thought, oh, just another native, you know, <laughs> white guy recording native things, and he's going to get away from it. But I really got into it when I was listening to the, the, the delivery um, and knowing that this is very essential and the timing of it is fits right in, in perfection, I would say, if that's a lack of a term in many indigenous people's way of thinking. But it fits right in for the timing of what's going on now. And so much healing, it fits into our prophecies as indigenous folks to bring forward those voices, especially these ancient, ancient songs. And I know that they are 10,000 15, 20, 30, you have uh, all these eons to hone a special vibration with the part of the earth that you're from, and these songs have come out in that way. And that, that's how I, I understood it when I, once I listened to it, and I, my mouth was open, my eyes didn't blink, it just, was, it, it just went into every cell in my body. And if I could say that without sounding new agey, then you would get the simplicity of how powerful this this uh, album is, and I'd like to thank you for bringing us forward, Matthew. And uh, tell us, tell us, you know, what what in uh, besides your journey and going throughout, but what brings forward these these ideas for you now to release, and, and how did the Kogi and these four tribes uh, of the Kogi come forward to really say you're you're go- you're okay, Matthew. You're okay. You can do this. Let me know. Well, there's a lot there, but I, I first heard them at an event in Kingston, and I, as yes, I've had a lifelong commitment to indigenous ways and and uh, a shared relationship towards music that I immediately recognized when I heard them. They had this incredible articulation and sophisticated way of of, of performing music that was that was it was just obviously operating on a multi-dimensional level and 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 with consciousness of it was it was very very like you said essential highly sophisticated unbelievably sophisticated i mean i was also this is it this is the this is what it's all about this is the music of the original instructions this is what we need this is why they're here i mean they were tell, told by their elders as little boys staying up till midnight every night learning these songs that uh that the world is becoming more conscious and aware, and that they they're going to have a job to fulfill their obligation to share these these this music with us here in the north, which is why they were in this room. Um, and I just completely related to, to everything that they were bringing to the to the room. And I, it took a couple of years to uh, to make the record happen. You know, we but they're they're clear they have a strong and deeply peaceful presence the mamas do and they are there's no facade to be had so it was an easy thing to do it was an easy thing to make this record happen in terms of that and it they're they just um came through you know we did they were up here at omega for a week doing a workshop and then the last day they were here we went into the studio and and we and we put these songs down on tape you know, it's really, really interesting how you, I mean, part of the, the announcement talks about the cultural integrity. I think that's more important than them coming to a place that everybody assumes is like a folk, vocal point is, is uh, the Omega. 
but what was it before Omega? I think they recognized the land. My experience with the Kogi is they recognized the land rather than the name, the name and the title that uh, Westerners put to a place, right? So yeah, I mean, I first heard them in Kingston, and yeah. they were they were here through the Tayuna Foundation. But yeah, you're right, and yeah. and that's what the Underwater Panthers is is all about is that you know amplifying and up this. Mu- these musical traditions that, that are rooted, you know, that are deeply rooted, and acknowledging that they're the primary way that connected cultures connect with the human community and larger non-human community um, in, an inter- in, an, in a multi-dimensional way that acknowledges the spirit mm. and uh, sacred consciousness. So, like you said, mm. they've got it down. They do. And I wanted to play... Um, a, a song here that stood out. I mean, they all stand out to me, and I just, you know, it's either close my eyes and just pick one, or you know, throw it up in the air at what they come down as. But I want to play this next one: Cigaro, Cigara, and the Cicada, uh, uh, Spirit of the Seed, Consciousness of the Seeds. If you could lead us into that, we'll begin that one. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. Uh, it's Mama Sanchina singing, and uh, I mean playing the flute. There, it's part of a, a pagamento for the seeds and how what seeds represent. Um, and most of these songs are a pagament, form of pagamento, but this is honoring uh, consciousness of seeds and, and everything that represents in a very real way for them.
that that spirit of the seed or consciousness of the seeds. Matthew, um, when you got these four uh, artists together, uh, the Mamos from each, each I'm thinking each tribe, the Arawaku, the Kogi, the Wiwa, and the Arawaku. Um, or, and when I'm thinking about, um, you know, when they, they refer to consciousness a lot, you know, even of the seeds of everything, what was your what was your ideas when once you thought to bring this as it is now to the public in the Western world, what was your thoughts about that consciousness? Do you, do, do you think that you would been able to be able to c- convey that consciousness that they are intending? I think that this record is medicine in that if you put this record on and sit in front of it, the consciousness will convey itself and nothing else needs to be said. It's not bypassing all of your logic and all this and all this other stuff. Just put the record on, sit in front of it, have an experience. This is about experience. It's not about entertainment. It's not about hooks. This is about consciousness being trans- translated, communicated through uh, song. The simplicity, the complexity of that simplicity is, is what David Amram, I'm sure you know, who's a friend who talked about when he, he's a great composer. And uh, you can find him everywhere. But he talked about working with indigenous peoples when he was young because he wanted to find out why their inflections and why their changes were so smooth. But it, it didn't fit the box of Western entertainment because these songs that we're listening to now is not about, they're not about entertainment, right? Or not making the charts or making big money out of. They're about conveying what we were talking about, the consciousness of that. Um, so when you got these four people together, um, five maybe, uh, of these four, four, Kogi, Arawaku, Wiwa, and Kankwamo, what happened? What happened with their nod to, to go someplace with it? What happened there? Uh, in terms of saying yes to recording the songs? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, it's a, as we, as you're familiar with, I mean, it's a reciprocal obligation. It's, it's a, uh, it's what they're here to do. And, Everything with them is a, is a consultation process because they're not just operating out of their own will. They're consultating with mamos who aren't there. They're consultating with dimensions that are present, but not. We don't communicate. So there's always like a little. There's always consultation, and their consulta- and the consultation involves non-local entities. Uh, so they make those consultations in terms of cho- choosing songs. They uh-huh. make those consultations. Uh, and, and and I think the end goal is their concern is that we are offering spiritual food, gratitude, respect through this music, uh, and that that they're going to help balance. It's all about balancing. It's not about good or evil or fixing. It's all about balance. They can deal with any problem you throw at them by their incredible uh, wisdom and ability to articulate through song. How to balance an imbalance? You know, that's what they do. Wow! So, you know, when I when I think about that, n- the natural order that they were, that they come from, and all oh, seeing that every day without the um, confusion of technology and with, you know, all the things that we have to put up, even tech, yeah, technology and 
everything that keep, thinks to keep us going has been shut down by something so natural that now we have to really, it opens our eyes, leaves a space for us to kind of uh, sponge this type of energy in that you're, you're bringing forward with this recording uh, through the songs and these meditations that, that are offered there. Um, it, the songs are the meditations. Yes. Uh, and so we're basically we're hearing how they, are we hearing how they care for the land through these songs? Yes, we're hearing how we we not just caring for the land, but it makes her happy to hear them singing these songs. So it's a caring, but it's also there's joy involved. There's there's restoration and there's joy, and they they always talk about how Mother Earth just feels joy when she hears our songs, and that we we've forgotten that we've mm-hmm. forgotten that music isn't just to woo your lover music is a sacred obligation to communicate with non-human relations yeah they they uh they're concerned that non non-indigenous peoples are plundering dismembering uh the earth correct very concerned and they're experiencing and this ties into where the we, you know any money that we make from this record they're experiencing a whole new wave of globalization. So yes, they're very concerned. I mean, they can look, they can tell what's going on from. They're in the highest coastal mountain range in, in the world, and they can sense what's going on all around the world. They're empathetic to all of everything that's happening. So what brought them down to, in the first place was that wow, things are out of whack. We need to do what we can to help the situation. And in their own world, they're seeing. A big wave come in from globalization. So the goal with this record is not just is in addition to the medicine that it brings to the world. We want to bring support to these mamos in creating schools and places for them to teach these ways to the younger generation who are wanting cell phones and you know beer or whatever. Mm. We're great. We want to create school, a school for the mamos to pass down their wisdom and their training, the way that their grandfathers passed that down, so that this can continue. There's something very familiar about you know their delivery and their intent that's not coming in conceptual form as we are used to in the Western way of thinking. It's coming from a deeper rooted. A conviction, if I said something that's been planted and can't be uprooted, at least from the Western Hemisphere. Right. And I think, in a way, that's the most genius thing there is. There's no achieving that kind of genius and ability without coming from that place. You can't mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, and it takes a lot of consciousness, which is the, the song that we're going to be going out with, Consciousness, the, the song of... Uh, what is this? A song of thoughts. That's what it is. And your 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 label, the um, Underwater Panther Coalition, can be found either through Facebook or you can go to your local search engine, which is many kind now kinds now. But Matthew O'Neill, you started this label committed to supporting the indigenous rights. And we have about thirty seconds here before we go into that last song. You have anything to say to to the folks when? Uh, why they should listen to this. And that means like, you know, researching it, listening to it, buying it, and knowing that the money is going to uh, the Kogi. Yeah, the money's going to these mamos to help them sustain their way of life. Uh, it would be doing everyone a favor if everybody, if you buy, if you listen to yeah. this music. Right. It's, it's just in its own way, in its own creates uh, healing. 
it does that. I can, you know, I can offer that as a guarantee. Uh, And it ties you into something that you're, we are fortunate to be even able to hear uh, without having, you know, it's just, we're so fortunate. And I also think that I'm trying to, through this, awaken awareness that uh, music is more than just for people. It's a way to communicate with the larger, our family, our larger community non-human so consider that and consider uh this a way to learn more about that that's right okay well matthew o'neill it's been an honor to have you on first voices radio and to release this debut album music for the mother ancestral music from the sierra de de santa marta in colombia thank you so much for being here and we'll see you we'll talk in a minute or so all right thank you all right this is a seeds of consciousness, the thoughts of, uh, excuse me, the song of thoughts, consciousness. Consciousness, a song of thoughts. That's from the Underwater Panther Coalition released Music for the Mother, which is ancestral Tayuna music from the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta in Colombia. And you can also find it on that same website, which is uh, the Underwater Panther Coalition. Search it out, you'll find it, and you'll find the reasons why it's, it's now released. It's, it's, it's awesome. I've experienced it, and, and you can experience it too. Um, I'd like to go into our second half hour here, we'll, which we feature an interview conducted by our friend Mer- Mario Morillo, who hosts on this radio station on WIOX, Roomba Therapy, on Friday evenings. And I was privy to, to be on Mario's show last Friday, along with Kayla Kelly, who is a substitute host, a co-host once in a while here on First Voices Radio. 
and she is Kanaka Ma'ali and myself, Allah Kota. So we want to make sense of this ongoing indigenous peoples who have to continually defend any little territory we have yet. Uh, the resistance movements through Latin America, uh, which I don't like the name, but it's South America, which I don't like the name, but the land of the condor. Uh, the, that Those parts of the world, including North America, which is Turtle Island, the land of the eagle. And we're, we're going to talk about why we have to resist because we see the destruction, a way of life. A man brought a ship and three little ships and uh, basically was lost. And in my own opinion, still lost. This is why you have somebody leading your, your, um, your country now making lost statements about anybody who is uh, trying to revise U.S. history um, is basically a not, not a good person. And I can say more about that, but I'd rather play this 25-minute uh, interview we, we, we accomplished last, last uh, Friday evening. So this is Marty Muriel. And uh, he is a professor at Hofstra University and teaches in the Latin American and Caribbean Studies program there.
so beautiful i'm so happy to be here and i have the privilege of being on the air in this uh, small community station bringing people together from all over the place and i'm really excited about our next segment as we move forward on this second hour of the show uh two special guests uh one i'll i'll, I'll introduce those who are more familiar i'll introduce him but it's really good to see and hear um uh, uh kiala kelly and kiala kelly who is an award-winning um, filmmaker, a Kanaka Maoli native Hawaiian filmmaker and journalist who is uh, joining us all the way six hours earlier from Hawaii. Uh, she's reported extensively on matters related to the native Hawaiian political struggle for sovereignty, for protection of sacred sites. Um, her film, uh, and I recommend you check it out, it's called Noho Ewa and it's the wrongful occupation of Hawaii, chronicles Hawaiian resistance to desecration, militarism, GMOs, and attempts to federally recognize the Hawaiians as a Native American tribal entity. And uh, she is a Ted Scripps Environmental Journalism Fellow. She has an MFA in film production from the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's so great to have you so far away, but uh, we feel you're right here. How are you doing? Hey, aloha, Mario. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. It's so good. I should also say, uh, Kayla is a, 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 a podcaster. Does a podcast? You're still doing a podcast, right? I would, I would imagine you're still I, churning that out. I do. I just, I have, I've been pretty busy the past few months, <laughs> but the Native Truth, it's still out there. I just haven't the been able to do truth. it regularly. That's right. right. And, and also and you were a guest on, on my show once. That was great. Yeah. And I've heard other, I heard other segments from, from, from the program. So, uh, so hats off to you on that. Um, also joining us is Teokasin Ghost Horse, who you all know. Uh, the program is First Voices Radio, heard nationally on uh, 100, about 100, over 100 stations around the country. Teokasin is a member of the Cheyenne River Lakota Nation of South Dakota an international speaker on peace, indigenous and mother earth perspectives, a survivor of the reign of terror. And it's important to point that out, especially in the context of the conversation we're gonna have now. From 1972 to 76, uh, the reign of terror in the Pine Ridge, Cheyenne River and Rosebud Lakota reservations in South Dakota, where uh, uh, it was just, you know, an onslaught from uh, the US Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's Tiokasin has spoken about this uh, at many different levels at the United Nations, around the world. He's an invited speaker who who goes uh, uh, across the world to talk about these issues and how they link to so many other communities, um, uh, North South America, uh, Europe, uh, Asia, Africa, etc. 
Uh, Tiokasin, uh, welcome back once again to your, I guess this is your home, so it's good to have you here again once again, Tiokasin. Hey, hi Mario, thank you so much. Hello, Keala from, from Hawaii, and uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, uh, Monday is October 12th, and I always get riled up around this time of year, especially around October 12th. Um, it's uh, celebrated and commemorated, uh, and it's been for decades now, uh, the so-called Columbus Day. But increasingly around the country, indeed around the world, but certainly around the country, you're seeing more municipalities, more cities, more states even actually recognizing it as Indigenous Peoples Day. And I know, you know, it's kind of an artificial marker to discuss some of these issues, but I thought I'd bring you guys together here to, to kind of reflect on it, especially in the context of what we're seeing right now in this country, where there's an, an onslaught and an attack on any kind of serious study of history, any, any, any attempt to really look at what has happened and how this country emerged and became what it is and continues to do what it does. Um, uh, so, so there's an attempt to kind of uh, blur the history and, and keep it silent. Uh, and people like you who have been, both of you who have been working to, to shed light on that history, I thought I'd bring you together to talk about it. So in a nutshell, maybe both of you can just tell us what, this, what, what does this mean to you, the Indigenous Peoples Day, slash in, in contrast to, to this uh, myth of Columbus Day. Uh, I'll ask you, Carla, maybe you can just give us your thoughts on it, Aloy from Hawaii. Sure. Well, in Hawaii, um, you know, we're in the middle of the Pacific here, so uh, Christopher Columbus' version <laughs> in the Pacific was Captain Cook, right? And he, it's, you know, so the narrative is the same. Um, it's this uh, narrative of European and American uh, discovery, right? the right to go out and discover and invade indigenous territories. So it's, it's slightly different here, but it's the same colonial project. Um, and with regard to this idea, this notion of patriotic education, again, we're, this is a colony. It's, it's known as the 50th state, but it's a very colonized place. And, and that project of oppressing and erasing and diminishing indigenous, the indigenous population of this place, that's an ongoing project, um, the American project in Hawaii. So, you know, I think this is a worthy topic, you know, what's, what's a, you know, the myth-making, <laughs> the myth-making of the American narrative in Hawaii. I mean, what is, what do people think of when they think of Hawaii? They think of a vacation, they think of their Polynesian paradise escape, they don't think of the militarization. They don't think of the murder of the, the Hawaiian nation. They don't think of any of those things when Americans think of Hawaii. Of Hawaii. So the myth-making, that's been ongoing ever since America took over this place. But it's ironic that um, notwithstanding the fact that obviously Columbus and his uh, cohorts didn't uh, step foot clearly anywhere near Hawaii, he didn't step foot anywhere near the United States of America, uh, you know, he landed uh, in the Caribbean for the most part in, in his voyages, mm -hmm. uh, particularly his first voyage that is celebrated in this time of year. Um, and, and yet this country has embraced it as one of, one of their own. Um, the, the, if you look at the, listen to, the, there was, I don't want to mention his name. I don't want to mention the person's name. But in a recent nationally televised broadcast that was commemorating 
the fact that uh, the nomination for this party was being named and he was accepting the nomination, he wrote, this is exactly what he said. This is straight from his mouth. Our American ancestors sailed across the perilous ocean to build a new life on a new continent. They braved the freezing winters, crossed the raging rivers, scaled the rocky peaks, trekked the dangerous forests, and worked from dawn till dusk. These pioneers didn't have money, they didn't have fame, but they had each other. They loved their families, they loved their country, and they loved their God. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of other you know, that he said, but essentially uh, negating the presence of, of the many people who were here before so-called ancestors arrived with that valiant uh, uh, initiative. Uh, uh, Teokasin, how about you? What your thoughts about this uh, commemoration that happens uh, on, a, on a, you know, every, every year, but it's actually in many ways the foundation of what empire has been built on. Oh yeah, I think Mario, there's, thanks, thanks again. Um, you know, when, when Kayla was telling her story about Captain Cook coming and yet that's the same story that happened in the mainland here. And then also when, when you decide, uh, they decided that, you know, there was going to be no more native people that, you know, we could talk about the history, but there is also that problem that that myth making you talk about is that the problem is that Western peoples have, now, if you think about this, if Western peoples have stepped out of the mainstream of our species, traditional way of remembering experiences. In other words, Western thinkers have erected a myth, a series of, of absolute concepts according to them, and dealing with the physical world and other worlds, uh, human affairs, and therefore there's a consequence. I think we're going through that consequence now of not telling the truth. And there's so many people that believe in this myth that they cannot help but look at history in a restricted manner. So you're describing, Mary, a formula that's going on to the left and to the right people. We can talk to a neoliberal and they talk, uh, it's a short conversation when it come native, comes to native people. Very short and because history is, it starts with them according to Trump in 1776, right? Some 1620, but we're talking about before 1492. And that's what I, I would like to think about. There, there is no myth there until Columbus got here and did the same thing as what's happening now at, at the, the high office, so-called high office. Um, and, you know, we have some of it on steroids. And I think that sort of um, intoxication has been going on since Columbus got here with discovery of America, America, the, 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 the love of riches, that's what it really means. And that experience that they have, right, it, it has to be a short, short narrative. And that short narrative is, it's going to work. America is going to work the way it has been working and plundering and extracting everything. And so, but there's still the native in the way. So that's what I'd like to add. Well, what's interesting is how they, uh, you know, we talk about Columbus Day last year, and, and in fact this year, I'm also, on Monday, I'm organizing a, un, unfortunately, it's a virtual event. I, in fact, I, I encourage both of you, you're more than welcome to join us uh, to, to reflect on, on Indigenous Peoples Day and, and look at the past, consider the present, and, and confront the future. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Last year, we did a similar event at the, at the university, at Hofstra University out there in Long Island, where I teach. And Altiokas and you were one of the speakers that, that came. Uh, and I had, it was funny, because I got interviewed by a local TV channel, uh, the News 12 Long Island, that came to cover 
the event because obviously it was Columbus Day. So people came to, you know, they wanted to make their little news hook. And, and the reporter asked me, well, you know, this, isn't this like kind of disrespecting Italian-American heritage? Uh, you know, Columbus is celebrated by, by Italian-Americans and it's really, and I, and I was like taken aback. I said, well, well this is nothing against Italian-Americans. I mean, if anything, there's so many other figures that Italian-Americans should celebrate and, and commemorate. Uh, and in fact, in this country, only in 1937 did this country begin to recognize Columbus Day. And it, much like the Confederate flags and the Confederate monuments that started being erected in the early part of the, 19th, of the 20th century and in parts of the 20th century all over the South, uh, it's re it was really to kind of uh, draw attention to and celebrate this idea of conquest, of, of uh, uh, invading of territory, of occupation, uh, displacement, uh, and kind of justifying it as kind of part of the American way. So, so, so you mentioned it, Kayla, about this idea of patriotic education. It, 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 we're really trying to de-educate because this is the way we were educated. I remember going to school and never heard anything alternative about Columbus. Oh, absolutely. I, and, you know, and I just want to... You know, to take what Tiokasen referenced a little bit further when he, you know, the thing about the indigenous experience is that it's, we're still on the receiving end of the ongoing colonial project. It just, you know, it hasn't stopped for centuries. So now it's, you know, the neoliberal versus the conservative Republican. That's the, the media's mythical narrative about it. But if you're indigenous, you know, we're still, the the ones put on the the altar to be sacrificed and our territories and our lands and our cultures are sacrificed for this american you know the the necessity of the american you know uh rights and entitlement to so-called resources you know i have to say this one thing has that's that's going to intensify with biden or trump it doesn't matter is this extraction project um what's happening right now in Nevada with lithium, you know, this green new deal that everybody keeps talking about because of climate change. Again, the natives are the sacrifice because that's really going to translate to further erasure and removal for not just natives in the United States, but throughout the Americas, because everybody's demanding the right to extract lithium now so they can have an electric car. And that's just one example, Mario, of how, you know, the myth of, you know, the American myth as, as you were reading it, and we all know who you were talking about, you know, as it coming from that person's speech, you know, that myth is this, it's this ongoing, this, it's, a, it's a bottomless appetite for taking and taking and taking. And, and the indigenous people of the world have just, are just consistently on the receiving end of that. Yeah, if I could say this, Mario, I think there's like this impasse we've reached here that, um, like we 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 are relying on authority figures, so to so to speak, both in science and religion, and now it's politics, and we're expected to choose sides between two antagonists. And that's what they really are, you know, and none of them are accurate or verifiable, and and their belief system is based upon the discovery that of America from back then, and science and religion. Uh, um, we're taught we're, we're we're taught to speak in a single 
conversation, a single descriptive language, right? And so we're trying to find our way out of there where indigenous peoples are, are, have been out of that for a long time. For instance, I was talking to the former um, cultural uh, minister in Bolivia um, last year in Portugal, and someone asked him, are you, are you uh, conservative or are you liberal? And he, he looked at this person, he said, I am neither conservative or liberal, I'm indigenous. Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that said right there that you get your, your, your moxie from, mm-hmm. from the earth, your, your intelligence from the earth. Let me just remind listeners, we're speaking with Teokasen Ghost Horse. He's a member of the Cheyenne River Lakota Nation of South Dakota, an international speaker on peace, indigenous and mother earth perspectives. He's the host of uh, the program First Voices Radio, which is the website as well, First Voices uh, Radio. And we're also joined by uh, r- journalist, uh, filmmaker, uh, activist, and Kelly, who is an award-winning uh, filmmaker, uh, a native Hawaiian filmmaker and journalist. Um, you know, so, so let's talk about how this translates to, to, de- to today. Um, uh, because the, the, the challenge of, not only drawing attention to this and 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 reclaiming history and 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 and, and discussing honestly the the past you know the origins of this country uh, um, but you have such a backlash and and it's not only a backlash about you know trying to be patriotic it's a clear backlash that's in many ways celebrating white supremacy celebrating uh, antagonism towards uh, indigenous, African, uh, uh, people of color uh, of all sorts. Um, so, so how do we confront that at this stage? Um, I, I'd like to see how you, how you, how that manifests itself in in Hawaii, Kala. Um, you know, very often we, as you said earlier in the beginning of your, conver- your your comments, that you know we think of Hawaii as this you know paradise that people want to go travel to and have their honeymoons. Uh, there, but but it's 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 a different reality. Could you talk to us about that? I thank you. Yeah, I you know one of the biggest issues I think for Indigenous peoples, especially in Hawaii right now, is this protection of of sacred sites, burial grounds, and sacred sites. And and the reason I'm bringing that up isn't just because of Mauna Kea and the fact that the state of Hawaii, through its university, the University of Hawaii system, is trying to uh, further exploit and desecrate that mountain uh, for the astronomy industry that everybody seems to think is a clean industry, which it is not. Um, but one thing people should try to understand, at least native or uh, rather non-native people, is that when you protect, when you allow indigenous peoples to protect what's sacred to them, whether it's a mountain um, or a stream or uh, any kind of traditional territory, you're protecting the earth and you're protecting the environment and you're protecting yourself really by supporting the protection of indigenous peoples in their homelands and in their territories. And I think that, you know, it's a really tough thing to get through to Americans is that, you know, the racism that we're all talking about now, yes, of course, black lives matter. It's tragic that we even have to articulate that, but racism as we understand it in America, was visited upon native peoples first, always has been visited upon indigenous peoples first, whether those indigenous peoples are in the Americas or in, or what was done to the first peoples of Africa or Asia, anywhere. So when I think about what's happening in America now, and I think about what can be done 
particularly in the wake of what has taken place over this past summer because of the murder of George, uh, of, uh, George Floyd. Am I getting his name right? Um, yeah. Because of these events, Breonna Taylor, this is the time, Mario, for indigenous and black and Latino and Asian and all, all of us to come together in solidarity, particularly uh, with the indigenous people of the United States, the indigenous peoples, because you know, this connects us to the land, this connects us to the environment. This, this is a way of really addressing climate change, you know, outside of the neoliberal uh, governmental corporate media boxes that they have us trapped in. It's gonna be grassroots people. It's gonna be whatever you have going on on Monday. This is where that conversation has to happen. And this is where commitments to each other's communities need to take place. Mm. Tio I know you've, again, you've traveled around the world. Uh, in fact, uh, you recall when we were there in, in, in Colombia in 2017, up in the Sierra Nevada, where we gathered with probably about 25 different leaders from around the world. Uh, and what we see is that the attacks, the onslaughts, the, the reality of, of uh, extraction, of invasion, of displacement continues. Uh, you know, I, and, and it's, it's amazing how things don't change, right? 500 years of this. Um, I, I go back to my first real engagement with indigenous communities almost 30 years ago. I, I, going, going to Colombia, I was covering Colombia uh, during the really height of the conflict and it was also a, a height of a period of a lot of joy and um, expectations because the, the country after years of violence had just recently approved its new constitution that was written by including in the constituent assembly indigenous leaders who were involved in a, a uprising against the Colombian state uh, and and there was for the first time in Colombia's antiquated constitution it actually recognized the rights of indigenous people and, and, and recognize Colombia as a multicultural, pluriethnic uh, uh, country, nation, uh, which gave rights, territorial, spiritual, et cetera, rights to the indigenous communities of Colombia. And I remember maybe weeks after that, that uh, um, constitution was signed uh, and, and approved and, and voted on, and there was so much expectation that this was going to happen, uh, 20 NASA Indians were killed, massacred in, a, in, a, in southern Colombia. Uh, in the wake, you know, as because by by landowners who basically contracted local militia, local police, and and militia to carry out that massacre, and I remember seeing that I said, "Wow, you know, no matter what is written on paper, these rights don't mean anything for the dominant culture." And we see it again and again and again. Thirty years later, it, it hasn't changed. Um, and so maybe in, in final words, Tiokasin, um, what what can be done to kind of draw attention to this, uh, to this, and it's happening in South America, it's happening in Central America, it's happening here, right here in, in the United States of America, in Canada, and other parts of the world. Right. I, I think that, you know, the West basically operates on this kind of ignorant premises, right? And it's always, and my travels say that it's always misunderstanding the nature of the world, and it doesn't really evolve any of its policies that can hold the allegiance of peoples together. It, it alienates everyone um, that does not automatically love it. In other words, uh, people, if democracy was so good for you, why aren't we li lining up for it? And it, it's only worried about its reputation, its image, its prestige, 
And the ideologies are always vulnerable, less realistic than those of the native people. Native people have to live comprehensively with the earth. And I think when you look to the future, I think that's where it's going. We are indigenizing that future and we must think spatially outside of that box uh, at the bigger picture in this century, especially. Um, some people have said this is the century of the indigenous and that's what I'm gonna go with. And I think indigenous thinkers, the contributions that we have intellectually, everything like that should not be put in the frame or in the box of the Western singularity of thinking and this is how it's going to be because that's that's judged by authority we're, we're talking about how are we going to live with the land and and that future is with the land and the seeding of our, our thoughts our consciousness is also with the land i think that uh the next generation that kayla and i talked about is that seed and we we have to guide them as as older people who have been through as i grew up with it, in, in a terror reign of terror, you know, we saw that. And that's what you're describing happened in Colombia. And we're describing that still going on in Colombia with my interviews with Manuel Rosendahl. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and he's talking about the same things that could have been at Wounded Knee, that could have been when Captain Cook landed there in Hawaii. <coughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's ongoing. We can talk about the tragedy, but out of that, there is a strength, this enormous conscious strength that we have as indigenous people to indigenize the future so that's where i'm going to leave it i appreciate that and it's and it's an attempt to erase that reality erase that history and and and, and force us to kind of accept a, a completely different reality and uh the both of you are doing your <laughs> you know tirando su granito de arena your 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 grain of sand to to try to make a difference um, which is which is very important uh, as communicators, as as storytellers, as filmmakers, as activists. Um, so I want to thank you both for for joining us on this uh, Friday evening. Well, in your case, Kala, uh, uh, afternoon in Hawaii. <laughs> but I want to thank you both for for joining us and um, and and helping us reflect on some of these some of these uh, these ideas. Uh, and that was Mario Murillo. He interviewed myself. Uh, Tiokas and Ghost Horse, and Keala Kelly, who is Kanaka Maui from Hawaii, about our perspectives on Indigenous Peoples Day. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, remember to find us all over all over the space that's out there now called the web. And First Voices Radio thanks you for joining us. And also the the new album released by the Kogi, right? The the the, the uh, <clears throat> music for Mother Earth ancestral music and we're going to go out with that so doksha ake wachingtelo le unkipiki hohewashte